north side. How are you doing this morning? Man, I'm excited to be here. Now, I'm not as good looking as Rocky or as cool, um, but we are excited that you're here, and uh, you might not have known I was speaking today. And uh, so this might be one of those Sundays uh, where, where God just kind of gets a hold of you unexpectedly. I want to let you know a little bit about myself. This is my family. Uh, I have a uh, beautiful wife. She's an educator. Well, actually not this. Yeah, right here. I have a beautiful wife. She's an educator, and I need you to pray for her because she is surrounded by boys. And, uh, and I'm telling you, at my house, that's, uh, that's a little difficult. It's all about baseballs and bodily functions. And when you've got a bunch of boys in the house, she doesn't have a chance. Now, I have two older boys. We moved here about two years ago here into Lexington. And, uh, and as we moved here, we started doing the baseball thing, and uh, both of my boys got to play baseball this past year, and, um, and, and one of them is to get to play in World Series, so we're excited about that. And then I've got this little guy named Quarter. Now, Quarter is, uh, is in the process right now of uh, learning how to potty train. Now, that's what we're trying to do for him. Now, we're doing, uh, we're doing this with him at the same time that we're doing our new puppy, and so it's... it's uh, it's kind of actually a wild experiment. In fact, you know, with, uh, with the dog, he's got a shock collar. I have tried that a few times on the little one. And uh, it doesn't work as well on the, on the little guy. But, uh, but the other day I was busy doing something, and the, and the little guy came up to me. He's about two and a half years old. And, uh, and he said to me, he said, he said, Daddy, Daddy. I said, what, what? And I was in the middle of doing something. He said, I poo-pooed. And I was like, wow, are you serious? Like all by yourself? You didn't need any help? And he said, yes. And then I just kind of went on about my business, doing my stuff. And then he told me again. And then I looked at him and I said, wow. I said, where? He said, Connor's room. <laughs> wow. So we've got a lot of work to do. Um, and, uh, and, and so, uh, wow. Anyway, so we've got another boy in our family. His name's Rokeem. Uh, he was a, a boy that we kind of unofficially adopted into our family. And uh, he was in the eighth grade. My wife taught him in the second grade. He was in a poverty situation, and, um, and as we worked through, with him through high school, uh, he is first in his family to go to college. He's at uh, Miami University in Oxford, Ohio. Here's a picture of him uh, running on, in national television, uh, and uh, so we're just really proud of him. We're proud of our boys, and uh, we really look forward to, um, to being here in Lexington and, and hanging out uh, with beautiful, wonderful people like you. I don't know if you know this, but Northside has a great reputation in our state. Uh, I work with churches around our state. You have a reputation of, of reaching those who others might not reach. You have a reputation of, uh, of pressing people uh, to come to know Christ. You have a reputation of taking a risk. And that's why I'm excited to be here. Uh, today's going to be a bit of a risky day for some of you. And, uh, and my question to you, is it just going to be like any other Sunday? You know, it was 8.45 on a Wednesday morning. It was just a regular Wednesday morning for most of the people that were there in Seoul, Korea. There were about 325 teenagers that, that uh, sat outside of a ferry on, on, about to go on a field trip. It was just kind of a normal day for them. They had their cell phones out. Uh, they were like any other typical uh, American kid. They were having fun. They were taking videos and selfies of one another. And um, they were having a blast. They got on the ferry. And uh, the ferry was going to take them across a body of water to go to a field trip. Now, while they were inside this ferry, though, um, the unspeakable happened. You see, the ferry kind of took a sharp left turn. And when it did, the boat tipped. As it tipped, it began to take on water. Now, at first, it didn't seem like it was that big of a deal. There was just a slight tip in the, in the ship. 
most of the teenagers were on the inside of this ferry. It was a pretty large uh, vessel, and on the inside they were kind of hanging out, and they were, they were in uh, rooms, and, and, um, and they started to kind of laugh about the, the shaking of the ship. They started taking pictures of one another, and, and one of the young men said, hey, maybe we should get a life jacket, and then the other ones kind of started laughing and said, what do we need a life jacket for? And then as the boat began to tilt a little more and more, uh, they heard a speaker, a uh, captain on the ship, actually said, stay where you are. And so they just stayed on the inside of the ship. One of the little boys took out his uh, phone and began to video. And during the video, the, the, the kids are laughing, and one of them said, maybe we should give a, a, a last, uh, last message to our parents. And another one said, I love you, Mom. And then all of a sudden, as the boat began to tilt more and more, some of them started going, look, I'm defying gravity. And then all of a sudden, the laughter turned to panic. And on that day, 185 teenagers this past year perished as a ferry sunk off the coast of Korea. They, they perished because they did not get off of the boat. Many of their friends were on the outside of the ferry, were able to jump to safety. But these 185, they stayed on the inside of the, of the boat, didn't move, and then it was too late. And they found that video, that phone on the bottom of the ocean, surrounded by young people who had perished. Today, you may be in that same boat. You may be in that same boat in your life. And my challenge to you is that you would get off the boat and take the plunge. Let's pray. Father, we come before you right now. We acknowledge you as king. We thank you for an opportunity for us to be challenged from your word. But Father, right now, there are a lot of individuals here before me that, that they do this every single week. They come to this place. They sit and they sing a song. They listen to a message. And then they stand up and they walk out of these doors. And for many of them, Nothing ever changes. In fact, for some of them, they have traded in a vibrant, real relationship with Jesus for a pathetic alternative of church attendance. And I pray that today you might really shake up the boat. There may be someone in here today that knows that they're far from God. I pray that today you would give them the courage to get out of the boat and to walk on water. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 14. Matthew chapter 14 is a, is a passage of scripture where um, history is made. And um, in verse 22 we see the story of, um, of a guy named Pete. But before this story, you need to understand what was going on. Uh, you may have heard of the feeding of the 5,000. It was a miracle that happened where Jesus took a, a couple of fish and some Wonder Bread, and he just divided it out among 5,000 people performing a miracle right in front of the disciples' eyes. And, um, and right after that miracle, we see Jesus tell his disciples, get in the boat and go out to, to the sea and I'm going to go up on a mountainside. 
And so Jesus leaves and he actually goes up on a mountainside to pray while the disciples head into a storm. The scripture reads, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. You see, when the storms roll in, the disciples are all alone. Jesus is in the midst of praying with his father on a mountainside, and the disciples are far from Jesus in a storm. Now, during this time, it may be similar to, to some things that you're facing even right now. That a lot of times, right in the, in the midst of a storm, you find yourself questioning what God's up to and why is he working in that particular area, in that particular way. I mean, a lot of times in a storm, we, we, we start to get a little fearful. And then a lot of times in a storm, we, we try to take matters into our own hands. Well, on this particular night, as they were basically fighting the waves, on this particular night, when the storms roll in, Jesus was in the shadow of the clouds. And for you, many times, as you're in a storm, Jesus is so very close, but you're struggling to try to do things yourself. I, I know men don't have this problem of trying to be in control of things. But that's what we do. In fact, a lot of times we try to take control of a situation and then we just ask God to come in and bless it. But on this particular night, Jesus comes walking on the water. Now, it's kind of wild in verse 25, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. And when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. The disciples were already terrified with the winds. But for some reason, it was more scary when Jesus started walking up to them. Isn't that a case? Sometimes when God wants you to do something, things get real uncomfortable. A lot of times when God wants you to do something, even when life's a mess, that sometimes seems more comfortable than letting Jesus take control. But on this particular night, as Jesus walks up, Jesus comes to them and he calms them. Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then something extraordinary happens. This is the part of the story that, that, uh, that I really want you to focus in on. You see, it was just like any other night. It was just like any other time, actually. But tonight, something radical happened. You have the disciples, and, and they're all hanging on to, to the sails, and they're, and they're scurrying back and forth on the ship. It's being buffeted by the waves. Now they've seen Jesus. And in the midst of all that, this guy named Pete, is, he's, he's hanging out on the boat with them, working hard. And then he just, like, stops. He calms down. He zeroes in on this guy, Jesus, who's walking towards them. And he says something that just seems to be kind of radical to me. He looks at him and he says, 
Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. And Jesus looks at him and says, come. You see, Jesus' invitation doesn't change. It stays consistent. It's always been the same. It's always been, come and follow me. Even if the only thing that separates us is a body of water that you have to walk on. This Jesus, as he gives the invitation to take a step of faith, this guy, Pete, swings his legs over the side of the boat, and he says, Jesus, if it's you, if it's for real, tell me to come to you, and I'll come to you and walk on water too. Now, you've got all these other disciples in the boat. All these other guys are listening to Peter, who typically said what they wanted to say, but they always let him say it first to just make sure that, they didn't get killed and, and let Pete kind of take the, take the bait. But all these disciples are sitting up in the boat while Pete's got his feet hanging over the side. My question is, what keeps them in the boat? They've just seen Jesus perform a, a, a tremendous miracle. They hear Peter talking about walking on the water, and then Jesus says to come. Why do they stay in the boat? Well, I think they stay in the boat for the same reason you stay in the boat. One thing is fear. Afraid at what God might ask you to do. One thing is comfort. That I'm kind of comfortable where I'm at. You know, I, 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 got, this, I got this church thing down, and uh, we, we do this on Sunday mornings, and then after that we, we go and we eat lunch, and and we critique the music and the message, and then, and then we go on about our day the rest of the week. I'm kind of comfortable at, at where I'm at with the Lord. I'm, I'm comfortable at, at, um, at just sitting where I'm sitting in my workplace. And days turn to months, and months turn to years, and years turn to decades. And all of a sudden, you realize that you're living a life that's just ordinary and normal. Or maybe you're that individual who is really seeking God right now. You got stuff in your life right now that's just messed up. And although it seems to be chaos around you, there's comfort in being in a place where you know kind of what's typically going to happen. Maybe what keeps you in the boat is a nice house, two cars, a boat, 2.5 kids, and a picket fence that you got to take care of. And that comfort level of maintaining that keeps you from doing something radical, like possibly even changing a career. What keeps you in the boat is the crowd, what everybody else in your neighborhood or your workplace or your school is doing. That, that crowd that, that kind of creeps in on you, and, and it's, you know, there's comfort in the crowd of just doing what everybody else is doing. Now, Pete's got his legs hanging over the side, but we got... We got 11 other guys that are up in the boat. And maybe just maybe Pete's fixing to sink to the bottom of the ocean. But us, hey, we're okay. Or maybe it's doubt. This idea that does God really even exist? Peter was just crazy enough to believe that Jesus had the power to let him walk on water. He just was crazy enough to say, maybe this guy that can feed 5,000 people with two fish 
and a loaf of wonder bread, maybe he can let me walk on water. Maybe in the midst of all of this chaos, maybe, just maybe, Jesus is the way. And so it said, Peter got down out of the boat. He walked on water, and he came towards Jesus. When everybody else is focused on the storm, Peter is focused on Jesus. When everyone else is holding on to the ship with their own strength, trying to make things last, Peter is walking the plank. When everybody else, the disciples, thought they were history, Peter makes history. Listen, you can either ride the wave or you can walk on water. I will tell you that there's a lot of people that are riding the wave. There's very few that are walking on water. You see, you've got to fix your eyes on Jesus. Let all the other distractions kind of go to the side. Be like that author says in Hebrews 12, let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of our faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, he scorned its shame, and he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Fixing our eyes on Jesus. No distractions. But when Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus as he walks on the water, it says that he was afraid and he begins to sink and he cries out, Lord, save me. Distractions. Distractions cause you to sink. Distractions keep you from Jesus. And I'll tell you, distractions could also cause you to lose your kid. That little guy I was talking about earlier. My wife knows she should not put me in charge of more than one thing at a time. And listen, I lost my kid three times in one week. Now listen, don't judge me, okay? Those of you who are, any grandparents in the house today, will you just raise your hand? Listen, we need help, okay? We don't know what we're doing. We weren't around when we were two and a half years old. We don't know. Like our life started at like year five or six. That's as far back as we can remember, okay? We don't know what to do with a two and a half year old, okay? We need your help. And so there I am. My wife comes outside and, and, uh, and she says, Lee, can you watch quarter for just a second? Now, I was grilling, okay? I was already doing something. Now, either I need to stop grilling and watch the kid or somebody else needs to watch the kid. So you can't burn a nice piece of salmon. So, I mean... While I was there with the grill, I looked at my son, Caden, who's 11, and I said, Caden, can you watch quarter? So I delegated, right? I mean, that's what men do. They, they delegate. And so I delegated, and I, and I told my son, I said, will you watch him? He said, sure, and they ran around the corner. So I'm, I'm grilling, and I'm getting, you know, I'm getting, I'm getting everything's going fine, everything's going good, and then, and then for some reason I noticed a birdhouse that needed to be fixed right next door to the grill. I don't know why guys do this. Ladies, we just do this. And so it was a good point in the time where I knew I had about three minutes, so I turned and I started working on the birdhouse, which was broken. I started fixing it. It wasn't very hard to fix. I mean, that's what guys do. We fix things. And so as I'm fixing this, though, I needed another set of hands, so I called Caden over to me and I said, I need you to help me with the birdhouse. He starts holding on to the birdhouse, and we're fixing the birdhouse. And then Lisa comes out and she says, where's Quarter? I said, I don't know where Quarter is. Caden's watching Quarter. She said, Caden's helping you with the birdhouse. I said, Caden, what are you doing? 
He said, Daddy, you asked me to help you with the birdhouse. I said, we got to find quarters. So now it's an all-family, all-hands-on-deck. We're running around the yard. And you know what it's like when you're trying to find a little kid. You know, my kid, he, he plays hide-and-seek, and he doesn't tell anybody. And so we don't know if he's hiding or if he's down the road or, or heaven forbid, he's, he's hitchhiking to a better house. I don't know. And so we're, we're running around the house, and so we do like two laps around the house. One of us runs inside. We start hollering his name, but that doesn't do any good because he, if he's hiding, he's not going to come out of hide-and-seek. He'll lose the game. So you don't know. We run into the, to the shrubbery. We look in the shrubbery because one time we find him in the shrubbery. It's just his little toe was sticking out. And so we're all over the place. Then we're in our next-door neighbor's yard. Just to, I mean, I can't believe. I was thinking, this stupid salmon, this stupid birdhouse distraction is going to make me lose my kid. And so all of a sudden, it was about three or four minutes, and then hollered out, I found quarter. And uh, went around the corner. He was in the refrigerator in the, uh, in the, uh, in the uh, garage. But it, the door wasn't all the way shut, so don't judge me, Okay. Um, it would be really hard to shut the door completely. And he was in there to try to get an icy, and that's why he wanted to go into the refrigerator. Uh, I don't think he's going to do that anymore, by the way. Okay? I did learn one thing from my dad. But anyway. So, so what happens in the midst of that, though, is that distractions will cause you to take your eyes off of what's important. So many times we get so distracted on things that don't matter for eternity, that don't matter, that we take our eyes off of Jesus. And then we ask the question, why are we sinking? It's kind of, we start asking ourselves, why is, why, why is this falling apart? Why is my job falling apart? Why is my marriage falling apart? Why, why are my kids not doing what I want them to do? Why, well, why, why, can't I, why can't I be where I want to be? But then when we look at our life, we're not obeying and following Jesus. And we start to place blame on others rather than looking at ourselves and asking the question, are my eyes fixed on Jesus? So what's distracting you? Is it the chaos of your family? Is it a struggling marriage? Is it a boss that's driving you nuts? You know, one of the things that can distract us is worldly success. Sometimes we can get so focused on worldly success that we just forget what Jesus wants us to do. And for some of you, what's distracting you is sin in your life that's keeping you from a relationship with Jesus. And I'll just be honest with you. I know some of you are sinking. In fact, some of you are already sunk. Because you're trying to live this life apart from Jesus being in control. And so some of you this morning, some of you this morning have everybody fooled. Your wife, your kids, your grandkids, the people in your Sunday school class. You don't know how you got to this point, but somehow you got to this point. Jesus is not your number one. Jesus is not the king of your life. Jesus is not the one who is in control of your life. And if it was just you and I, 
and we were just sitting face to face over a cup of coffee, and I just got serious with you, and we just started asking, like, what out of your life is real about following Jesus? What in your life, if other people saw you, they'd know you were a Jesus follower? I'm not talking about being a, a good moral person and being pretty good and coming to church on Sundays. I'm talking about radically following Jesus, even if he asks you to walk on water. What kind of faith step are you willing to take today? What kind of faith step are you willing to say, you know what? God's talking to me. He wants me to get out of the boat. What if it's you and, and you're far from God and you say, God, today I want you to be the Lord of my life. Are you willing to follow him regardless of the cost? This is a beautiful picture of the gospel. In verse 31, it says this. When Peter hollers out, Lord, save me, immediately, 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 Jesus reaches out his hand and caught him. You see, we are far from God because we mess up. We do bad stuff. We're far from God, and even though we're far from God, God loves us. And what's wild is that probably for a lot of you, you, you look like a two-year-old to the Father, like trying to do everything yourself. And God's just saying, slow down. You can't work your way here. You can't get rid of your bad stuff. Your bad stuff deserves death. It says in Scripture, though, that God loves you so much that he can't just act like your sin's not a big deal. He's got to punish it. But because he's merciful, he takes the punishment himself. And he stretched out his hands, which actually is not the wild part for me. The wild part for me is that he would ever come here in the first place. That he would ever even acknowledge us the way we act. We are so prideful and haughty. We are so, you know, puffed up with who we think we are. And we're nothing compared to eternity. But God, the creator of the universe, would step out of heaven and onto this earth. And then stretch out his hands and die on a cross. So that you wouldn't have to pay the penalty yourself. And if you would just cry out, Lord, save me, he catches us. He catches us. It's a beautiful picture of this God that doesn't like push Peter's face down in the water and say, why'd you take your eyes off of me, son? No, it's a beautiful picture of him grabbing one of his children and pulling him up and embracing. Why would you stay in the boat? Don't you want to take the plunge? In closing, I have two older boys. And uh, 
and they love to swim, and they love to go run and jump, and, and uh, they have a big time in the water, diving board, lake, it doesn't matter, big time. But then we got this little guy, and he hadn't quite figured it out yet. He thinks he wants to, but it's scary when you're a two-year-old. And so all summer, I've been telling him, all right, listen, Daddy's going to catch you. Just jump. Will you just jump? Just jump. Daddy's going to catch you. It's going to be fun. You're going to have a blast. It's going to be a wild ride. You can do this. And he'd get up to the edge of the pool. He'd stick his big little hairy toe off the side, and he'd get really close, and then he'd just say, I can't do it. I can't do it. And then I would just say, just come on. You've got to trust me. Will you just trust me? I love you. I'm not going to let you drown. I love you. I want you to experience life. I want you to experience what it's like. Don't you see your older brothers and what they're doing? Don't you want to do that one day? Just jump. So he would run from the side. He would run down the steps, and he would get in the water that way. And I'd try to coax him again. And then a day would go by, and then the next day would go by, and then the next day would go by, and he just wouldn't jump in. He would go to the steps and run down, and we'd swim some. And then, and then one day this summer, everything changed. Here we go, ready? One, two, three. Come on. All right, here. No, 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 no. I'm, all right, I'm right here. I'm right here. Here we go. One, two, three. Come on. Come on. All right, I'm right here. Here we go. Here we go. One, two, three. Is that a picture of you? Like giving the Father instructions. I need you to be this close. Not too far. Us telling God what to do. Is that a picture of you? Somebody who's far from God because their sin has separated them from Jesus. Take away church attendance. Take away all being a good person, all that stuff. Listen, just you and the Father. Like, do you have a faith that's real? Has Jesus really saved you from your sin because you have confessed him as your Lord? That means he's your boss. That means he's in control of your life. Maybe today you would put a flag in the sand, a defining moment where you would say, you know what, today, today, today I took the plunge. I thought it was going to be a normal Sunday. It turned out to be an extraordinary Sunday. Or maybe you're a Jesus follower for years. But you know what, your life has just become routine. It's just what you do. When was the last time you did something that was uncalculated? When was the last time that you, you stepped out in faith because God prompted you to do something and you stepped out 
and Jesus took your hand and you walked on water. Day in, day out, we live a normal, ordinary life and we say we follow Jesus, but what if, just what if, what if God wanted you to do something radical? What if you've been following Jesus for years but you've never practiced believer's baptism because you just didn't want to get up in front of people. And what if you said today, listen, I'm going public with this. I want to obey Jesus. I want to be baptized. I want to lay down my life, let Jesus pick it back up. I want my old life to be buried. I want a new life to be uh, sold out for Christ. I want to be an open follower of Jesus. For some of you, he may want you to take a a faith step at your workplace or in your neighborhood, and you know you're supposed to talk to that individual, but you still hadn't done it. You may have invited them to church. You may not have. When are you going to tell them why you go to church? Maybe there's that kid That kid that you haven't even met yet that needs a dad. He needs somebody maybe to come into his life. Maybe he's an orphan right now in the state of South Carolina. And you would say, I can't. I can't do that. Why not? Listen, there was 11 other guys that said they couldn't do that. It was only Peter that walked on water. I want this Sunday to be an extraordinary Sunday not just ordinary because I want you to experience what Jesus has in store for you you may ask your question like why does it seem like other people sing out the songs more than me why does it seem like other people love Jesus more than me why does it seem like when I pray that prayers just hit the floor maybe you've just turned in an extraordinary life for an ordinary God wants you to get out of the boat today so as you bow your heads and close your eyes right now I just want you to do some business with the Lord just you and him and I want you to ask him this question Jesus Do I need to take a faith step today? Listen, you can't get away from God's spirit as he moves and his works. He's not a God that tries to hide. He's actually a God that tries to be revealed. And... uh, And you know if he wants you to do something today. So, Father, I just pray that in just a moment that you would give those who are before me the courage to take a leap and to do what you call them to do. If you were someone far from God with your heads bowed and your eyes closed this morning, 
and Jesus is not your Lord. Just get honest. He's not your Lord. He's not your boss. He's not in control of your life. And he's calling you to himself to come and to follow him. If that's you today, if that's you, if you want Jesus to be the Lord of your life and you want to confess him as Lord, on the count of three in just a second, I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. Don't stay in the boat. He wants you to take the plunge. One, two, don't delay. Three, raise your hand high. Raise it high. Raise it high. For those of you who would have your hands raised, would you just pray and talk and do business with the Lord and just tell him first. Jesus, I'm, I'm not where I need to be. I am far from you because of my sin. In your own words, would you just say, Jesus, I believe that you died on a cross for my sin. I believe that you were buried and resurrected. But today, Lord, my belief turns to action. I want to confess you as my Lord, my boss, the one in control of my life. I want you to be my Lord and my Savior. Thank you for saving me. And then this invitation is for you. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're a Jesus follower, but you feel like that God wants you to do something that you haven't yet done and you've been scared about it, You may be at the West Campus. You may be here, right here in this room, that would say, God wants me to get out of the boat in this particular area. I'm a little scared to do so. But today, I'm going to take the plunge. Would you raise your hand where you are just so that I can pray specifically for you? If you're a believer in here this morning and would say that. I want to take the plunge on the count of three. One, two, three. Raise your hand, raise it up high. Father, these hands that are raised indicate that you're calling them to do something pretty radical that might take them out of their comfort zone. Father, I pray that beginning today, you will put them in an opportunity to get out of the boat in that specific area. We thank you for showing up this morning. We know you're in the business of making history. Father, what an honor it is 
to join you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Now I want to give you one last challenge. I told you this would be a special day. You've got a commitment card that's on the um, bulletin that you got when you came in. And on the back of that, there's a little card at the bottom that you can tear off. The first three things on there say, I prayed today to become a lifelong follower of Christ. The second says, I am renewing my commitment to Christ. And the third says, I'd like to get baptized. Now, here's the radical step. Today, we've filled up the baptismal pool. We've gotten everything that you would need. If you think of it that you need it, towel, change of clothes, hair dryers, makeup, the whole nine yards, we got it. There's no reason. We have taken away almost every reason for you not to be baptized this morning. Now, what's wild is that there have been some that this morning had indicated, yes, I want to follow Christ. There are some others that are here today who have followed Jesus but never practiced believer's baptism. What would it be like this morning if you turned to your wife or if you turned to your child or your grandkid or your husband and said, I think that God wants me to be baptized today. What a radical step of walking on water that you would say, I'm going to follow Jesus and I'm going to take the plunge today. Like when you're eating at lunchtime today, there won't be the, oh, that was a pretty good song. There won't be the, hey, yeah, you know what? That message was pretty good. No, I got, you know what? I went today, and I got baptized today. If you're a teenager and your parents are here, and you talk with them and say, I think, I think God wants me to do this today. We see in Scripture when Philip and the, and the eunuch found some water, he said, why not right there? So in just a moment, let this response time, this invitation time, this worship time we're about to have be unlike any other that you've ever experienced. As soon as they begin to play the music, I want you to turn to the person that you were with today, and I want you to say, I think that I'm supposed to get baptized today. And if you have a family, friend, member, anybody like that here with you, both of y'all can go right over here to this exit, and Steve's going to be standing right over there. He's got everything you need. And listen, I, I'd, just, I'd, be, I'd be fired up if we saw one person that said, you know what, <laughs> it's going to happen today. Because I believe at the end of this worship time, if we saw someone come to know Christ and be baptized, I think you guys are going to erupt excited and leave out of here ready to take the message of the gospel so that we can see another. So as we pray here in just a second, I'm going to ask you to stand up. And when I'm finished praying and as they begin to play worship, you just slip out where you are and you can walk right over here. And you can talk with Steve. He'll work through all the details with you. Let's stand together as we pray. Father, those who have filled out this card, we'd have a time of offering here in just a second. Them placing that card in the offering plate is like an act of worship. 
I pray that if there's someone here this morning that says, I want to be baptized, that they would take that card and personally hand deliver it to Steve and say, today is the day. Father, I know that you have been at work in the lives of some this morning already. Some did not even indicate that they, with a raised hand, that they needed to take a step, but right now they know this is a major step, and I want to do it today. So, Father, as we worship, I pray that you give them the courage to do so. In Christ's name we pray.